Hey friends, during the month of October, I'm going to be doing a live stream book club of the complicated heart, loving even when it hurts. You'll be able to get a free discussion guide and hear the intro and first two chapters of the complicated heart for free right here as I read them to you starting today. You don't want to miss it and you don't want to miss all the details. So keep listening. Welcome to the Complicated Heart Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah May, and this is a show all about exploring messy heart topics and the strategies we can use to seek healing in the pain and restoration in the ruins. Okay, before we talk details, this week's review winner is S. Marie Run. Here is her review. Sarah May's podcast has been so helpful through our grief and anxiety of challenging adoptions, which have felt so confusing at times, crushing. It's hard to find solid spiritual wisdom and insight when dealing with trauma. And Sarah has done a beautiful, wise, and humble job approaching these topics and pointing back to Christ, while also acknowledging the need for concrete advice and changed thinking patterns. I highly recommend. S. Marie Run, thank you so much for your kind review. Please send me your snail mail address to podcast at saramay.com because I want to send you a little something. If you, any of you, are listening and want to leave a review, I want to thank you by name and honor you with a little gift. So every week I pick a new review to read on the show and then send a little gift of thanks. If you'd be willing to leave a review, just head to iTunes. It'll take two minutes and under ratings and review, you'll see where you can tap to rate and then under that in little purple words, it says write a review. Just click that. If you find the show helpful, please give it a five-star rating. Thank you all so much for listening and passing this show along. Now for the book club details. You guys, I'm so excited to be doing a book club as we walk through the complicated heart. So I'm going to be going live each day beginning next Monday, each weekday beginning next Monday, October 7th at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. It's going to be on Instagram, so you're going to want to go ahead and connect with me at Sarah May Writes. Uh, All these links are going to be in the show notes. So head to Sarah May Writes on Instagram. Follow me. You don't want to miss it. Next, head to saramay.com forward slash discussion guide. Again, the link is in the show notes and download your free discussion guide. If you don't have the book, you can request it at your local library. Hi, free. Love that. You can head to christianaudio.com and sign up for a free 30-day trial, and then you can listen to The Complicated Heart for free, or you can go ahead and just buy it wherever you like to buy books. So again, links are in the show notes. Okay, one last thing before you listen to this episode. The content is mature, and it's not for little ears, so stick your earbuds in or maybe even take a minute to decide if your heart is going to be okay, because some of what I talk about may bring up painful memories or images for you. Pray for protection over your heart and for the truth to be louder than any lies or shame. Okay, so let's begin. This is the intro and first two chapters of The Complicated Heart, Loving even when it hurts. People always ask me how I forgave my mother. How do you forgive someone who wounded you so deeply? 
who carelessly brushed aside your pain, who caused such destruction? And even more specifically, how do you forgive them when your wounds are still open, when they show no remorse, when you are so dang tangled up with them, you're not sure how on earth to get untangled? How do you maintain a relationship with a toxic person? How do you not run for the hills, sayonara, peace out? If you should run, how do you know when or how? How do you love your enemy when that enemy is your own mother or father or sibling or spouse? How do you get your emotional junk together so you can put a stop to the unhealthy patterns, behaviors, and habits you feel stuck in? Is it possible to get to the point where the pain no longer consumes you? And is there joy and victory in the midst of loss and unmet needs? These are the questions I've sat next to, held, and walked with since I was 14 years old, the year I moved in with my mom, the year I discovered that my mom was an alcoholic. This book is the answer to those questions, and even more specifically, it's what happened between the ages of 14 and 36. You will experience my story with me, seeing through my eyes and hearing through my ears and perching on the ledge of my thoughts. You will also be able to peek behind the curtain into the heart of my mom through her journal entries and letters, which are at the end of every chapter. They give my mom a voice in this story. The journal entries are not in order. I've just fit them in where I think it gives context to our intertwining lives. It is a rare gift to be able to trace a life, to see what makes us fall and what makes us stand again. This is our story, the story of my mom and me, but it's also your story and how even in great darkness light finds a way in, comforts us when we can't see, and leads us out into the fullness of day where redemption and freedom and healing are waiting for us. There is victory and hope and joy despite the pain. Now, I know some of you reading this right now are in the dark. You think there is no way out, no way things could change, no way your tender heart could heal. Further, the very thought of forgiving and loving the person who hurt you the most sounds impossible. Some of you reading this right now are just sad, sad at what you missed out on, for what was taken from you, for the unfairness of it all. Your little girl heart just wants to be loved by the person who was supposed to love you. It's a deep and often private ache, I know. Some of you have decided that to hope is just to hurt, and so you've placed hope in the attic, letting it collect dust, only holding on to it because you haven't wanted to bother with it. Hope is dangerous, and it's best kept tucked away. It's for you I write this story. For all of us, for all the torn up and sad and ticked off daughters and the broken hearted and the wounded ones just trying to figure a way through the mess. I'm asking you to let hope sit in the same room with you while you read this book. You don't have to touch it yet. Just hang on to these truths for now. There are miracles and surprises and gifts, even in the middle of the pain and the mess and the complication of it all. Dysfunction does not have to be your legacy. You may have been born into it, married into it, or created it yourself, but it does not have to be your destiny or your identity. Victory is always on the table. One last very important thing. 
There is some graphic content in this book, not appropriate for children, and you may experience triggers, things that you read that may bring up painful memories or images. Because of this, here's what I'd like you to do before you slip into the story. Evaluate. Assess your current emotional health and your age appropriateness and decide if your heart is ready to embark on this type of material. Pray. Pray for a willing and vulnerable heart, for protection over your heart, mind, and body, for eyes to see what God wants to reveal to you, and that His voice would be louder than the liar's voice. Submit. Submit your heart to the Lord, or if you don't know Him, submit your heart to humbly receiving what He might have for you through this story. Here we go. Mom's Journal. Date Unknown. I wish part of my purpose would be to write, to give something to others through my writing. God is just waiting for the right time for me to begin my new life. Chapter 1. I Dare You. Sarah, age 14, Bowden, Georgia, 1994. My fingers trace the shape of the cheap, pink, daisy razor sitting on the side of the tub. I wonder, can you slit your wrists with a cheap razor? Goosebumps form on my arms. My foot reaches up and turns the handle of the faucet, pushing it all the way to the red line, but only a cool stream comes out. I hear the scooping of ice cubes and the sound of them hitting her glass. The vodka comes next. My insides tighten, and the feeling of steel moves up my shoulders and down my arms. Her words from earlier loop in my brain. I drink, so what? You need to get over it. So what? Get over it. I feel it again, the fire that's trapped under my skin, that burns through my body. I don't know how to get it out of me. I look at the razor again. Could I do it? Could I slice the life out of myself? How much would it hurt? How much would it hurt her? My mind drifts off into a fantasy where mom finds me limp and blue and slouched in red water. She realizes what she's done, how much she's destroyed, and she tries to wake me up, but it's too late. Now her insides burn. The fantasy dissipates, and I slide further into the water, which barely covers my shoulders. What I want more than sliced arteries is for her to tell me she loves me. I want her to hold me in her arms as though I was her little girl again. I want her to rub my arms and stroke my hair and tell me everything is going to be okay. The fire seethes. My fist wraps tightly around the razor and I yell out, Maybe I'll kill myself. A split second of hope fills me, like maybe my insecure, needy declaration will wake her up and she'll run to me and we'll have that real talk and we'll cry and hug and prove talk show endings really do happen. Go ahead. I dare you. I release the razor and sob into the lukewarm water. She wins. Sarah, age 36, Port Ritchie, Florida, 2016. God, please don't let her die alone. She's quiet now. The off and on guttural yelling from last night in the hospital has stopped. They say dementia patients yell like that but she doesn't have dementia. She's just dying, and this is her brain's response to it. She doesn't even know she's yelling. It's rhythmic. But now she's barely making a sound. 
Her eyes are open, but they just go back and forth, back and forth. Mom, please, if you can hear me, let me know. Nothing. I hold her hand, rubbing my thumb over her rough, swollen skin. I put some music on, songs I know she loves, songs she had put on a CD for me years ago. A quote from the song Sarah by Fleetwood Mac. Sarah, you're the poet in my heart. End of quote. A quote from the song Great Are You, Lord, by All Sons and Daughters. You give life. You give love. You bring light to the darkness. You give hope. You restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. End of quote. Over and over, the same songs play quietly. Her eyes dart back and forth, and her breathing slows. Her eyes stop. I turn off the music and talk to her. I promise her I will tell our story of what God has done. She always wanted to write, to help people, she said. You're almost there, Mom. Almost done. I'm right here with you. I love you. My hand squeezes her hand and then I gently rub her head, her thin hair under my palms. And like a clock winding down, her breath just winds down, slower and slower. I can feel her leaving. And then, her breath is gone. Just stillness. On April 23rd, 2016, at 7.16 p.m., my mom took her last breath and entered the arms of Jesus. Chapter 2. Home. It's the summer of 94 and I'm 14 years old. I'm skinny, the whole elbows and knees thing. A Judy Bloom, are you there God? It's me Margaret, bust exercise follower. It hasn't worked. At all. My hair is a mix between scraggly and poofy and I have braces with dark blue bands on them because for some reason I thought that would look cool. It doesn't. I have small front teeth, so now when I smile, all you see is a line of dark blue. But I did start my period this summer, finally, so at least I can join the girls on the bus and talk about cramps. We feel so grown up. Except I won't be on the bus when school starts, at least not here in Pennsylvania. I've convinced my dad to let me move to Georgia where my mom lives. A teen girl should be with her mom, after all. Mom told me I was old enough to decide who I wanted to live with, so even though I adored my dad, I boldly told him I wanted to go live with my mom. He didn't say much, but I saw the tears in his eyes. I knew it was hard for him, and I hate hurting him, but I need to be with my mom. I haven't lived with her since I was three, with the exception of a couple months every summer, per the custody agreement. My parents divorced before I was a year old, and my mom took me to live with her in Wasilla, Alaska. When I turned three, my dad won custody of me and brought me back to Pennsylvania, where I was born and where his parents lived. My mom said he got custody because he had more money, and my dad said my mom didn't really fight for me. He also told me he used to come home from work, and I would be in my crib in a dirty diaper with three or four empty formula bottles around me, as though I hadn't been touched for hours. Mom said she used to just stare at the wall until she lost track of time. Sometimes she called a friend to come over and snort some cocaine, something to break up the monotony of staying home with me, of feeling all alone. She loved me, but she was also lonely. My sister, who has a different dad, 
once told me that our poppy, mom's dad, told her that I could have been born, quote, retarded, unquote, because mom was probably using when she was pregnant with me. My teen sister bawled her sweet little eyes out as she told me this story. I pointed out to her that I was fine. Of course, I have no recollection of cocaine or dirty diapers or staring at a wall next to my crib where I apparently spent hours with my bottles. I only have good memories of my mom, at least up to this point. Spending summers with my mom was always a highlight for me. I have such wonderful recollections of those early years. I remember the Little Rock Air Force Base, where she lived with her fourth husband, military man, and where she worked at a youth center over the summer. I was 12, and I would ride my bike up there every day and buy pizza and starbursts. In the mornings, all the kids at the center would stand and sing the Whitney Houston version of the national anthem. Mom drove the bus for the center to and from the pool for the kids, and it was always a wild ride. She was known for taking curves a little too fast. The kids loved my mom and called her Miss Susan. I was so proud that she was my mom. I remember being a little girl, five years old, lying in bed with her before I could read, holding a book, and copying her. I'd watch her curl her fingers around a chunk of her hair while reading, and I'd mimic her until it became my own lifelong habit, reading and playing with my hair. I remember all the years before I was 13, staying up late into those summer nights, rearranging furniture until I fell asleep on a chair at 2 a.m., and her reading library books to me, and us watching Hulk Hogan together, and going to movies and laughing hysterically with each other. I remember days at the pool where she would play in the water with me, and there were water park visits and Toys R Us trips and talking late at night as she tenderly scratched my arms as I fell asleep. I wanted to be just like my mom when I grew up. Well, her or Madonna, but mostly her. She was the best, and I thought I was the luckiest. Hello, Georgia. Before I board the plane and head to my new life in Georgia, I hug my dad. He has tears in his eyes and doesn't say much. He just squeezes me harder and then lets me go. Mom picks me up from the airport, and we drive the hour from Atlanta to the small town of Bowden, Georgia, population 2001. We turn onto Mill Street, and less than a minute later, I see it. The simple beige one-story house with maroon shutters and a front porch swing. Mom parks the light blue Ford Windstar in the driveway, stopping just in front of the detached two-car garage. I follow Mom up the back steps and into the cluttered, carpeted, screened-in porch. Up against the back wall, by the door to the house, there are two old, worn armchairs, both which would be an eyesore anywhere else but somehow fit perfectly in this well-loved space. Between the chairs is a glass table with random papers scattered on it, partially covering a gray film. Ashes from a few poorly aimed flicks of a cigarette lie next to a butt-filled ashtray. Next to the door and catty-corner to the chairs is a ragged, light blue and faded pink love seat with a ripped seat, exposing a slice of the yellow foam beneath it. A man with a kind, crooked-toothed smile, mile-long eyelashes, and a brown, curly mullet stands on the porch in front of us. This is John, 
Mom says, enthusiastically introducing me to her 21-year-old live-in boyfriend, 20 years my mom's junior. He takes my bags and asks me if I'd like something to eat. A sandwich, maybe? Yes, please. Mom and I sit down, her in the armchair closest to the front door and me on the couch. She pulls out a cigarette, places it between her lips, and looks cross-eyed as she lights it. She sucks in, breathes out, and leans forward with a huge smile on her face. I love her so much. We talk and laugh like old friends. We're just so giddy to be together. The screen door to the house opens and Buddy, my mom's part blue tick hound, gleefully runs onto the porch, John following behind, balancing a grilled sandwich loaded with ham and lettuce and mayo and drinks for him and mom. Mom scrunches Buddy's face in her hands and baby talks to him while I dig into my sandwich. Sitting here on this smoky, screened-in porch, surrounded by random objects like the ceramic angels that sit on the wood ledges, I am struck by the joy of it all. I relax into the ragged couch and smile. I'm home. Mom's Journal, 1993, one year before I moved in with her. My purpose is clear. I know what must be accomplished in order to survive. I've come to the place. Here, I must open all wounds, bear the string of memories, recall what had to happen to bring me down and make me cry. It is time to discard what I believe I learned with each encounter. I must reach for the true lessons, those I've denied all my life for the sake of retaining my dignity and pride. It is time to admit I have no pride and there is no dignity in the life of a foolish woman. In order to sidestep the inevitable fall I face, I will look at and face the ugliness I have been running from. I will lean on the good and cast aside the bad whenever it tries to interfere with the good feelings. Most of all, I will pray to God for his help and strong hands. Feeling the pain you own is okay. It can't be overridden with anger or denials or vengeance. It will always be inside you, no matter how much you convince yourself it's not affecting how you feel. Best bet, embrace the pain. Own it, for it is real. Flowing with what's inside your heart loses the ache, comforts the disappointment. It is there. Why deny it of its expression? Chapter 3. Always Drunk His hand is on my neck, just below my chin. I'll be back next week with a new episode. If you want to go ahead and get the full book, you can go to any bookstore, you can order it online, or like I said earlier, you can go to christianaudio.com or your local library and get it for free. All right, guys, I'll see you Monday on the live stream, 9 a.m. Eastern time at Sarah May Writes. Thank you for listening to the Complicated Heart Podcast. If you like this podcast, if you've found it helpful, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review. Reviews are how people know if they should listen or not, so your review matters. Thank you so much. If you want to know more, check out sarahmay.com forward slash the Complicated Heart Podcast.